This podcast was sponsored by Mutual Insurance Company of Arizona. Mike is the select provider of medical professional liability coverage for the Maricopa County Medical Society. For more information about MICA, call 602-956-5276 or visit www.mica-insurance.com. Hi, I am Dr. Karini Vinales, board member of the Maricopa County Medical Society and an associate program director for the Endocrinology Fellowship Program of the University of Arizona College of Medicine, Phoenix. Welcome to our Arizona Physician Podcast. I hope you enjoy our talks. Modest physical exercise, healthful nutrition, stress reduction, sleep, benefits, the cardiovascular system, muscles, skeletal system, lungs, and together with the cognitive aspect, they make up a brain-healthy lifestyle. Hi, and welcome to the Arizona Physician Podcast, brought to you by the Maricopa County Medical Society. For more information about the Maricopa County Medical Society, visit www.mcmsonline.com. Today's guest is Dr. Paul Bendheim. Paul Bendheim, MD, a Phoenix native, is clinical professor of neurology at the University of Arizona College of Medicine, Phoenix, and founder and CEO of Brain Savers Incorporated. Dr. Bendheim graduated medical school from the University of Arizona and following two years of internal medicine residency at University Medical Center, Tucson, completed a residency in neurology at UCSF. He is board certified in neurology and specializes in Alzheimer's disease and dementia. Dr. Bendheim wrote, The Brain Training Revolution, a proven workout for healthy brain aging, which was published by Source Books. He's a member of the American College of Lifestyle Medicine, American Neurological Association, American Academy of Neurology, Alpha Omega Alpha Honorary Medical Association, and serves on the Scientific Advisory Board of the Alzheimer's Drug Discovery Foundation. His previous positions include the Max Varon Visiting Professor of Neurobiology at the Weizmann Institute of Science in Israel, and Medical Director of Development and Research Neurologist at the Banner Alzheimer's Institute in Phoenix. Dr. Paul Benheim, thank you very much for being on the Arizona Physician Podcast. John, uh, thank you for inviting me. It's a an honor, a privilege, and I hope some of the information that we'll talk about today will help uh, physicians throughout the state to deal with this uh, epidemic of Alzheimer's disease. Absolutely, sir. We want to get to that and many other topics today, and let me start with this question for you. The late biologist Francis Crick, who co-authored with James Watson the groundbreaking paper proposing the double helix structure of the DNA molecule, once said, quote, There is no scientific study more vital to man than the study of his own brain. Our entire view of the universe depends on it, end quote. So Dr. Benheim, why are you so fascinated by the brain and what drives you to find ways to improve healthy brain aging? I suppose, John, that my fascination with the brain began without being conscious of it, just in my upbringing. My father was a pioneering psychiatrist here. He came to Phoenix in 1937. And psychiatry obviously deals with the brain. The brain is the substrate for all of our emotions, feelings, and actions. And both my parents were involved in the arts uh, as amateur collectors. And my mother uh, was a docent at the Phoenix Art Museum in the early days. And so I grew up surrounded by a family that was interested in what I consider the highest 
output, the highest product of the human brain, and that's creativity. And so without really thinking about it, uh, I think that set me in motion. And then as an undergraduate, I majored in art history. And then, as you mentioned, I attended medical school in Tucson. And that first year, neuroanatomy and neurophysiology simply fascinated and captured me, the complexity of the human brain. And I remember being a bit naive and daydreaming <laughs> about trying to understand the neural basis of creativity. I thought very naively that perhaps one could grow neurons in the laboratory, hook them up to some sort of recording device and capture an original thought. So ever since then, that has been my passion. And then more recently, about 16 years ago, while attending a lecture by uh, Dr. Arthur Kramer from the University of Illinois, he's now moved to Boston, about the benefits of exercise on the human brain. And that really upset the apple cart because as a medical student, I spent three months in New York City at Columbia at the Neurological Institute. It was, a, it was one of the considerations of where I wanted to do my residency. Houston Merritt, arguably the most famous name in the history of American neurology, although retired as chairperson and professor, still came in once a week to meet with the students. And one day, Professor Merritt said to the students, amongst which I was one, the worst thing about growing old, sitting back in his chair and listening to his brain cells commit suicide. That was the central dogma of the aging brain until relatively recently. And then research by Art Kramer and then dozens and hundreds more now over the past two decades or so have demonstrated these remarkable abilities of the adult aging brain to be plastic, meaning it can change its shape, it can grow new neurons, and connect them through new synapses. And now the what was previously a theory of cognitive reserve is now absolutely proven. So cognitive reserve is analogous to physical reserve. And I'm sure all the physicians in this state know that people that do a modest amount of physical exercise and eat a more healthy diet, they build physical reserve, which makes them less susceptible to heart disease, some cancers, osteoporosis, falls and fractures. Cognitive reserve is the analogous principle as applied to the brain. People that live a brain-healthy lifestyle have a reduced risk of cognitive decline, and most significantly, a significantly reduced risk of Alzheimer's disease. So listening to our Kramer talk about the benefits of exercise, modest aerobic exercise in aging adults and how that protects the brain, that sparked an idea in my brain to create health clubs for seniors with the emphasis on what I refer to when I talk to lay groups as the muscles inside your brain. Lay people understand exercising muscles make stronger, make them stronger, excuse me. So exercising your brain makes it stronger. And so that was what uh, started this uh, path that has led to Brain Savers now uh, being an accepted uh, lifestyle program to enrich lives and promote healthy brain aging through uh, the six components. Thank you. That's, that's really inspiring. It's good to hear your interest in the brain and a good analogy of using the muscle um, analogy for your brain and, and how you can strengthen it. And 
given the amount of reading that I've been doing or, or watching TV or talking to my friends, I'm sure there's a lot of room for growth there, just like a lot of room for growth with my physical ability. So that is good to hear. Next question for you, sir, is uh, because you and some colleagues presented research to the National Council on Aging, and you focused on six lifestyle components you're just talking about. Who's a target audience for your presentation, and what are those six lifestyle components that you shared? So the National Council on Aging is an old institution that provides guidance, services, products to various agencies, including area agencies on aging, retirement communities, and many more, uh, all organizations and individuals who are committed to promoting various aspects, various programs to benefit aging Americans, whether it's on the financial side, the legal side, or in our case, the health side. So once a year, they have a large annual conference, which was scheduled for Dallas this year, but because of the COVID-19 crisis, became virtual. So I organized a panel, and it was accepted for a 90-minute presentation, and I have some very distinguished colleagues who agreed to present along with me. And they include uh, Carol Zerniel, who's actually the past uh, chairperson of the National Council on Aging, and a nationally recognized uh, gerontologist. Also, Dr. Chelsea Stillman, who's a very bright upcoming researcher at the University of Pittsburgh. And Chelsea's area of focus is community-based cognitive fitness programs. Uh, Dr. Alvaro Pasquale-Leone is an the third member of our group. Alvaro is a professor of neurology at Harvard. He was the medical editor of the Harvard Guide to Cognitive Fitness, which much to my delight, recapitulates the six components of the Brain Savers program. And then uh, another local, uh, Benjamin Brock. Ben runs the community centers for Optum Care of Arizona. And if you have never been to one of Optum Care's community centers here, when they reopen, I suggest you go and you'll see a lively place with aging American seniors participating in a whole variety of activities, including socialization, which in and of itself promotes a richer life, a happier life, and importantly, a better brain health as we age. So the session that we presented dealt with the science behind lifestyle for the brain, the implementation of lifestyle in community centers and the nuts and bolts of the Brain Savers program. And could you talk about what those, we'll get into more details about them, but those six lifestyle components, could you list which ones they are? Sure. So I've already mentioned brain exercises. So both right. formal and informal mental cognitive exercise is critically important for the brain. When I talk again to lay groups, I make the point that your brain is unique among all the organs in the body. It needs two forms of nutrition. It needs the same healthful nutrition that comes from fruits and vegetables, a Mediterranean diet. Every organ in the body benefits from a healthy diet. The brain needs another form of nutrition and that's sensory input and experiences and activities. That's what the brain developed over millions of years to do, is to receive and analyze sensory input and use it 
to enable us to not only survive in the world, but to make progress in the world. So socialization is the third component, and that independently promotes healthy brain aging. There are numerous studies in the peer-reviewed literature. People that have an active social life as they age not only have better mood, but they have a reduced risk of cognitive impairment. Number four is physical exercise, which I've already mentioned. And that's the most robust evidence, and it's been developed over decades. Physical exercise, modest aerobic exercise. And again, when I speak to lay groups, what is modest aerobic exercise? Well, the recommendations of the U.S. government on physical activities for Americans, which was the latest edition was published in 2018, 30 minutes of modest aerobics walking at a pace so that you have to take an extra breath or two to complete a sentence. That's all. You don't have to be panting like a sprinter or a marathon runner. 30 minutes, five days a week of walking or the equivalent, swimming, working in your garden, as long as you're exerting a little bit more than you do at rest of cardiovascular uh, exertion. Number five is stress reduction. St chronic stress is a brain wrecker. Uh, the best studied is depression. Depression, chronic depression, shrinks the hippocampus. It impairs memory formation. And when I was in training, we used the term pseudo-dementia. Severe depression can be mistaken for Alzheimer's disease. And the final component of the six is sleep. Sleep is critical for memory consolidation, the making of memories permanent. And it also enables analysis of situations. And sometimes that results in what are called eureka moments, people waking up with a solution to a problem they've been dealing with for days or even weeks. I think the most famous example of that is probably the solution of the periodic table of the elements, which the Russian scientists worked on for weeks and months and woke up one morning with the answer. I'm glad he did. Okay, great. Well, thank you. And Dr. Benheim, which medical conditions are we impacting when we talk about the lifestyle components of the aging brain? Okay, so the lifestyle components, as uh, you know, I think is quite obvious now, not only applies to the brain, but also to the body. So we call our Brain Tavers program the Brain Plus Body Total Fitness Program. So it's no secret to our audience that modest physical exercise, healthful nutrition, stress reduction, sleep benefits the cardiovascular system, the muscles, the skeletal system, the lungs, and together with the cognitive aspect, they make up a brain healthy lifestyle. And the literature now is robust with the evidence that this reduces one's risk, not only of the normal wear and tear, so-called senior moments, memory, forgetfulness, but most importantly, pathological cognitive decline, starting with mild cognitive impairment and progressing all the way to dementia, of which Alzheimer's is the most common. Sir, were you presenting at, at the National Council on Aging, was this original research that you had conducted with your team, or were you conducting an analysis of these previously published studies and recommendations moving forward? Yeah. So primarily, John, that the evidence we presented has been developed by countless other neurologists, physicians, neuroscientists over the last few decades. Now, Dr. Pasquale Leone and Dr. Stillman, they presented original research 
um, I mentioned Dr. Stillman's research is based, is centered on demonstrating the co uh, community-wide cognitive enhancement programs. And uh, Alvaro Pascual Leone, his research, which is conducted both in Boston and in Spain, is both on diagnosis of cognitive impairment and interventions that can ameliorate uh, the progression of cognitive impairment. And I think I mentioned earlier, he's the medical editor of the Harvard Guide to Cognitive Fitness. Folks, you've been listening to an episode of the Arizona Physician Podcast and our conversation with Dr. Paul Benheim. After the break, we'll come back and speak with Dr. Benheim about Alzheimer's disease, some recommendations that he has for physicians listening to this podcast, and where people can turn for more guidance and more tools. We'll be right back. This podcast was sponsored by Mutual Insurance Company of Arizona, the select provider of medical professional liability coverage for the Maricopa County Medical Society. As a physician-led mutual, MICA has been Arizona's choice for medical professional liability insurance for nearly 45 years. We provide value to members with superior claims handling and exceptional risk management programs. Call us today for a quote or visit our website to learn more about MICA's premium coverage options and outstanding service. 602-956-5276 or www.mica-insurance.com. Bureau of Medical Economics has been servicing the account collection needs of the medical community since 1951, with nearly 70 years of experience in this industry and proven results. We proudly consider our clients, your practice, an invaluable business partner. There is no obligation and no upfront cost. Please give us a call at 602-252-3469 for more information. Welcome back to the Arizona Physician Podcast. Our guest today is Dr. Paul Benheim. Sir, you specialize in Alzheimer's disease, and many people understand that it, it is associated with memory loss and confusion. What actually happens in the structure and function of the brain for patients who have Alzheimer's disease? Alzheimer's disease is one of the degenerative diseases that can affect the brain. It's the most common form of dementia. Dementia is an umbrella or basket term, just like cancer is an umbrella or basket term. So there are uh, numerous causes of dementia. What's critical for physicians is not to jump to the diagnosis of Alzheimer's disease, of which we have no, uh, we have no disease modifying therapies currently, but to do an exhaustive search for treatable causes of dementia. What happens in the Alzheimer's brain? I've already mentioned degeneration. Well, there's a buildup of two abnormal proteins. Uh, the best known is amyloid. Amyloid is a neurotoxin. The first clue that it was important in Alzheimer's disease came from studies of individuals with Down syndrome. Individuals with Down syndrome were born with a third copy, an extra copy of the 21st chromosome. And neuropathologists back in the 40s and 50s recognized that as Down in, Down's individuals aged beyond 30 into their 40s and 50s, many of them, on top of an already challenged neurological substrate, Down's individuals have varying degrees of mental disability from birth. Well, now at advancing age, they started showing signs of dementia. 
And when these neuropathologists looked at the brains of Down's individuals who died, they found tremendous amounts of amyloid. They recognized that there was something on the 21st chromosome that may be relevant to Alzheimer's disease. And then fast forward uh, a few decades to molecular biology, molecular cloning and neurogenetics. And it was determined that the gene that encodes the amyloid precursor protein resides on the 21st chromosome. So people with Alzheimer's disease have abnormal amounts of amyloid in their brain. And this amyloid appears to interfere with synaptic function. And when you interfere with synaptic function, synapses die back, neurons are eventually affected and neurons die. Okay. The other major finding is the accumulation of tau protein involved in neurofilaments. And so those are the microscopic findings. Macroscopically, an end-stage Alzheimer's brain will be atrophied. It'll be markedly smaller in the sense of the gyri, the tissue parts of the brain will be atrophied. And the sulci, the spaces between the gyri, will have enlarged to compensate for the loss of brain tissue. Wow. And, and that's something that you find post-mortem, right? You, you have to look at someone's brain after they've passed to look at that, or can you well, examine yeah. that while someone's alive? Yeah, that's a good question. So, so actually to determine amyloid, we now have scanning techniques that can determine amyloid burden. And every patient suspected of having cognitive issues needs an imaging study of the brain. And we can see shrinkage of the hippocampus. We can see generalized atrophy. But most importantly, the reason to do an imaging study is to make sure there's not another cause, another reason for someone to be having cognitive issues, such as a brain tumor or a benign a mass, such as a subdural hematoma. Right, exactly. Okay. Well, I was going to ask you over time whether researchers have made greater progress toward understanding the disease, and that's clear that you and others have. What about treatments? Um, are we making progress? There are a lot of fundraisers to support Alzheimer's research and, and the search for a cure, search for treatments. Where are we right now? Yeah, that's the great frustration in the field because over the last two decades or so, at least 200 drug trials, and when I say drug, I'm talking about standard small molecules or biological therapies such as monoclonal antibodies, vaccines, and the like, more than 200 trials have failed trying to find a disease-modifying therapy. Multiple sclerosis is another common neurodegenerative disease, and there now we have at last count, I think more than 15 disease-modifying therapies. So as we speak today, John, there is no standard pharmaceutical or biological therapy that can either prevent this disease or slow its progression. And that's why now the Alzheimer's environment, the Alzheimer's community is excited about lifestyle because the evidence is overwhelming. And I would point to one major study published in The Lancet in 2015, the so-called FINGER study, the acronym, uh, and that stands for the Finnish Geriatric Intervention Trial, in which 1,200 at-risk aging Scandinavians were put into this program. 
the control group got general medical advice. The active arm of the trial got a multimodal uh, brain enrichment lifestyle, including cognitive exercise, physical exercise, uh, healthful nutrition, and I believe socialization was there. I haven't looked at that study for a while. Anyway, at the end of two years, the multimodal intervention group had significantly better cognitive function compared to the control group. Now, what the study did not show was whether the active group had a decreased incidence of Alzheimer's disease. The study was not large enough or long enough to determine that, but the cohort is being followed for a total of seven years to see if this discrepancy, this better cognitive function in the active arm translates into fewer cases of Alzheimer's disease over time. Okay, great. So there'll be more data to come and results in the coming years that will come out of that longitudinal study. Yes. And in fact, now the United States Alzheimer's Association, the major not-for-profit group that supports not only research in Alzheimer's disease, but support for caregivers and, and the like, they have launched the pointer study, which is an attempt to duplicate, duplicate the findings of the finger study. Excellent. Okay. Well, thank you. Dr. Benheim, uh, two more questions for you. First, what recommendations do you have for physicians listening, especially primary care physicians, who may come across a patient that they suspect of having Alzheimer's disease? Where do they go from there? Um, you talked about dementia or digging more deeply into lifestyle components and what's affecting the patient. So what's your recommendation yeah. for the people listening? Yeah. So absolutely number one is looking for treatable, reversible conditions, diseases that can mimic Alzheimer's disease. Alzheimer's disease has to be the last diagnosis after this exhaustive search for a treatable condition uh, is finished. So things like chronic infections and immune disorders, metabolic and endocrine uh, abnormalities, nutritional deficiencies, B12, is uh, B, vitamin B12 deficiency can present as a dementia, side effects of medications. You know, many of our aging patients are on numerous medications many of which can impair cognitive function. I mentioned uh, before uh, tumors, subdural hematomas or intrinsic brain tumors. Chronic hypoxia can impair cognitive function. And then certain forms of hydrocephalus. And never forget depression. Even if a patient has an underlying dementia like Alzheimer's disease, they can be depressed as well. And treatment of the depression may in fact provide some relief. So that's the first thing is an exhaustive search for a treatable or reversible cause of the dementia. When that has been done, then the next thing is to look at treatment. And there are FDA approved medications that are really basically symptomatic treatments. They don't change the eventual outcome, but some of them can actually cause short-term improvement, mainly in a patient's level of awareness and alertness. Excellent. Thank you. And, you know, I'm a neurologist, so I think uh, every patient with uh, cognitive impairment and possible dementia can't be hurt by having a consultation with a neurologist after the primary care physician has done his or her excellent work. Good point. And Dr. Benheim, final question for people uh, listening who are seeking ways to improve the aging of their brains. Where could they turn for additional guidance or tools? And if you could mention 
the organizations you're part of, but others as well, especially the ones that are in Arizona or the Phoenix Valley? Sure. Well, the Arizona uh, Alzheimer's Association chapter is a, a place to start. The Banner Alzheimer's Institute is a world-recognized destination place uh, for memory and cognitive impairment. It's head, headed by uh, doctors Eric Ryman and Pierre Theriot, and they have the full gamut both of trials ongoing and social and uh, non-pharmaceutical interventions. In the West Valley, a uh, part of Banner at the, Del, the former Del Webb Hospital is a destination place, as is the Barrow Neurological Institute and the Mayo Clinic. And then more generally, AARP, uh, the Cleveland Clinic, all of them and others, the Harvard, they all have robust websites now that provide information as to various interventions, lifestyle interventions that individuals can follow. The difficulty is many times without a coach or a mentor, it's hard for individuals to make changes to their lifestyle. And I think that's one of the things we've achieved at Brain Savers with our live instructor-led classes. And because of the desire to really scale this, we've now launched what we call Brain Savers Synapse. That's the online version of our Brain Plus Body Total Fitness Program. And there we have a collection of videos on various, the six components, cognitive exercises, physical exercises. Uh, there are a lot of resources out there, but at the end of the day, each of us, all of our patients uh, with proper guidance needs to become his or her own healthy brain doctor. My wife says, I talk too much about this. You mentioned my passion for this earlier on, and I can talk to I'm blue in the face, but people have to kind of get off the couch and start doing physical exercise, changing their diet, et cetera. Exactly. And we'll, we'll include, if that's okay with you, some contact information for those organizations, but also for yourself in case the listeners have any questions or want to contact you. Dr. Paul Benheim, MD, a Phoenix native, you are a clinical professor of neurology at the University of Arizona College of Medicine, Phoenix, and founder and CEO of Brain Savers Incorporated. Dr. Benheim, thank you very much for being on the Arizona Physician Podcast. John, uh, thank you. Uh, I've enjoyed it, and hopefully uh, together and Maricopa County Medical Society can continue to make a difference in people's lives and specifically in the lives of their aging brains, keeping them robust 